before we continue our worship together through the preaching of God's word, I invite you to join me in a prayer of confession. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, again, we thank you for the privilege to together, corporately, uh, under the truth of your word, um, in this unique and special way that you call together your people this day, this first day of the week, that um, we have such a joyous time to worship you together. And as we come to you, we ask that you would kill our hearts, that we might know you more fully, that you would uh, inform the very depths of our soul with the truth of your word, and that you would help us to understand our great need of continual cleansing. We are those who have been fully, completely, forevermore cleansed in Christ, yet we are those who are in need daily of having our feet washed. We trod a fallen world, and we do so as light, as your children, effectually called by your grace and appointed as uh, your ambassadors to declare Christ to the world and all is worship. And so we come to confess our great need moment by moment to be filled with the Spirit of God and to be cleansed, to confess our great need, confess our struggles, confess our uh, hatred of sin that we might, by your strength, by your enabling grace, walk ever more fully in righteousness. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, this morning we return uh, to the book of Acts chapter 20 and we'll remain there in verse 21. The title of this morning's message is The Nature of Faith. Now, we've been dealing with uh, the language here found in verse 21, particularly that of repentance and faith. And so I've tried to, to take a moment here for just for us to settle in and, tie, and, and take a more didactic look at this particular verse and all the ramifications of what it means for us to be commanded to repent towards God and to exercise faith towards Jesus Christ, these two elements of salvation. So if you will, just by way of reminder, I want you to look there with me again, and we'll just pick up the language. So let me back up. Verse 20 again, this is Paul referring to uh, his ministry there. He's in Miletus with the elders, uh, the Ephesian elders, and he's just speaking of his ministry there among them as he's going to travel on. It's the last time that you will see them. And so he's talking about himself. And again, this is not a boastful uh, language here. This is just a matter of fact to the glory of God. So he says to them that uh, he served them. He was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, and with trials which came upon him, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. And we know what that was. And it continued to be all the way till um, his appointed time of death. But then look in verse 20. 
and we'll see verse 20 and 21 really what Paul's getting after here in terms of his ministry among the Ephesians. He said, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Here we go. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's the language that we're addressing here as we think about repentance and faith. The, the heartbeat, the core of Paul's ministry, all of Paul's endeavors, all of Paul's travels, all of Paul's struggles, all the, the, the joy and anguish of Paul's earthly ministry that we've been tracking here recently in Acts culminates in this theology. This is the response that is commanded of God in relation to the call of the gospel. So as Paul goes forth and carries the gospel of Jesus Christ, that comes with a command in response. Repent towards God and believe. Exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So by way of kind of review and background here, I want to remind you of these two elements of salvation, these two realities of salvation. There are two things, right? Two things that we will do, that one must do concerning the gospel call. For the gospel to be true in one's life, for the gospel to be applied in one's life, for one to receive the gospel, that person, he or she, must repent and believe, exercise faith. Repent towards God and exercise faith specifically in Jesus Christ. Those are two things you must do. Is there a doing? Is there an active response to the command of the gospel? Yes, there absolutely is an active response. You must repent and you must believe. Now, we certainly take an active role in that regard. So this is what we must do. Repentance and faith are both necessary. Remember, we spoke about that earlier. They are both necessary. Both are required. Everyone here, and we see in the context here is Paul, with Paul's language, he speaks of Jews and Gentiles. So everybody, all, all people everywhere must do two things in order to be saved. Repent and believe. So it's required of everybody. There is no special way of salvation for any ethnic group anywhere on any part, uh, any corner of the world. All must repent and believe. Now, repentance and belief are connected, right? We talked about their connectivity. They're absolutely connected. They both display the majesty of God in salvation. Now, that's the bottom line concept uh, that branches out in a multiplicity of wonderful ways as God is displayed in his work of salvation. But at the foundational level, at the base of God working out salvation among men, there's this connected reality of faith and repentance both display God's salvation. Now, they're connected, but they're not the same thing, right? We cannot confuse that. They're absolutely inextricably connected, but they are not the same thing. They have a uniqueness between the two of them. There is, they are unique. They are distinguishable, if you will. Now, they display God's grace and majesty and salvation and if you will, conceptually, 
two directions, okay? Repentance is directed towards God, generally speaking. If you recall on last Lord's Day, we spoke about that. Towards God in a very general sense, towards God as creator, lawgiver, judge, the possessor of heaven and earth, the triune God, and whom we have sinned against, and from whom we must seek forgiveness. We are to repent in a general sense towards the triune God, primarily understanding God as creator, right? God is lawgiver. God is just, we have offended a holy triune God, and we repent towards God. Now, our catechism uh, does us much justice here, so I want to repeat. I, I spoke about it last week, so I want to repeat our catechism dealing with repentance and faith, okay, by way of review here and just a little background. So here's what the catechism says concerning repentance, and this is very uh, uh, thought-out, fruitful language. Repentance is this. Repentance unto life is a saving grace by which a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and understanding of the mercy of God in Christ, does, with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with full purpose of and striving after new obedience. That's a pretty thorough and healthy definition of repentance. So repentance stems from what? Do you remember from last week? And Danny spoke much about that today in our morning study. So repentance stems from fear. Fear of God. This is where the reality of repentance wells up in our being. It stems from nowhere else. Okay? Nothing else on this planet will stir a lost sinner to repentance except fear. The fear of of a righteous, holy God that sees and assesses all that we do and all that we think. We talked about the heaviness of that and how that is repulsive in our modern culture, but it is an absolute fact, an absolute reality on all mankind throughout all generations. Where there is true repentance, there is always a reverence, a fear of Almighty God. That's where it stems from. It's always true. And that is healthy for you to know and carry into your conversations uh, of the gospel out into your context. This doesn't change for a very uh, mamby-pamby, wishy-washy, sensitive, self-absorbed modern culture. This truth doesn't change. And so to be loving is to be honest about Scripture. This Know this fundamentally for yourselves and for all your proclamation of the gospel. To God calls you home from this earth. There must be repentance. And it will come only from a healthy fear of God. So we talked about that uh, at length on last Lord's Day. But know this. God's going to assess us and God's going to judge us according to his standard. And his standard is permeated and predicated upon his holy character. Now, in the same manner as we are to repent towards God in a general sense, we are to believe or exercise faith toward, and again, the language uh, uh, is the same there, so it's healthy to think of repenting towards God in a general sense and 
and believing toward Jesus Christ in a very specific sense. So we are to exercise our faith and believe in Jesus. Specifically, Jesus as God who became man in order to be our Savior, the one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are believing upon Christ. We are exercising faith towards Christ specifically. There is one object of our faith. It is Jesus Christ alone. There is no other object of saving faith. Saving faith exercised in any other manner or directed in any other way is not saving faith. One mediator between God and man. So faith is directed towards God, the Redeemer, in the person of Jesus Christ. And our catechism, again, uh, does us much good here when we think about faith. So let's read through the catechism concerning faith. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace by which we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Now that's tidy. That's really condensed and really precise and really good. There's you a pretty good catechism right there. Okay? This is exactly what we think about when we think about our faith. Saving faith. The object of saving faith is Christ alone. But let's think about, we looked at the two. They're both commanded of us. They both must happen for there to be genuine salvation. For one to be saved, one must repent and one must Believe in Christ alone. As we talked about repentance at length, and now let's spend a little time on faith. So what about the foundation of faith? Well, I got a a couple of quotes here that I want to give you that I think are pretty healthy and fruitful. So let me just give those up front. So here's one from Lewis Burkhoff. Saving faith. Saving faith is a certain conviction wrought in the heart by the Holy Spirit as to the truth of the gospel and a hearty reliance or trust on the promise of God in Christ. And that's a pretty good one to hang your hat on there. Uh, another uh, definition of faith by Charles Spurgeon, saving faith. Saving faith is believing that Christ is what he is said to be and that he will do what he has promised to do and thus looking to him for pardon, justification, uh, um, uh, preservation and eternal glory as he has promised them to believers in him. So there's two pretty good, healthy definitions of faith. And now you realize when we think about faith and faith alone, we are rapidly coming up on the 504th anniversary of the Reformation. 1517, there's really, if we, we kind of, there's a number of dates. We really kind of track back to that. There, there didn't break where Luther just kind of laid down the gong. You know? But what was the Reformation predicated upon? What, were the, what was the issue, if you will? Now, there were a number of issues, but what was the issue? What was the foundational issue? Yes, salvation by faith alone, right? Now, okay, so wait a minute, we're supposed to do two things, brother. We're talking about there's, there's repentance and faith. Yes, that's true. And if we were to track back and consider if we had Brother Luther uh, to, to be released from the, the portals of glory, which uh, he would uh, um, 
fight against uh, uh, fervently. But nonetheless, hypothetically speaking, if we, if we could have them portal down to us and sit here on the front row and we say, we say, Brother Martin, what in the world do you mean by faith alone? What about repentance? Well, certainly if, we, if, if you read any of Luther or any other genuine follower of Jesus Christ, Luther's uh, uh, gospel message is full of the reality of repentance, a call, a command and to repent and believe on Christ. What's being said here is that salvation comes through faith alone in opposition to works righteousness, which Luther was uh, facing down uh, forthrightly in his day. And so when we hear this beautiful language of faith alone, uh, it's not without repentance. There's no such thing. If you miss one, you don't have the other. Repentance and faith are inextricably linked, right? So he's not saying that Salvation comes through faith alone, devoid of repentance. Repentance is understood and, and replete in all of Luther's writing. And again, any, any other genuine Christian, it's there. Primarily, we know this, but that it's, that it's commanded because it's commanded to us in Scripture. Now, there are uh, plenty of places in Scripture where you hear repentance referred to by itself. And there are other places in Scripture where you'll hear faith referred to by itself. So that's true. They're not always linked in Scripture. But when we connect the dots and put scripture together, we see this command, this necessity for both. So when you hear the language of faith alone, understand that repentance is built in. It's connected to this faith alone. But I say that because this morning we are going to emphasize faith and we are going to talk about faith alone. And we're going to see that Repentance is necessary and faith is necessary, but faith is elevated in Scripture, and we'll get to that. So both are commanded. Both are necessary for salvation. But today we're going to, in in a moment, we're going to look. So this is a little teaser. We're going to look at the reality of faith being elevated. By elevated, I mean it's set apart uniquely by God for a purpose in salvation. That's very important for us to understand that and understand why faith is set apart by God in His saving work among men. So the confession of the Reformation was this. Listen to the language here. Faith that receives and rests upon Christ and his righteousness is the only instrument of justification. Now, that's good language coming out of the Reformation. And hang on to that term instrument. The instrumentality of faith is what's elevated. And we'll get there. The means, faith being the means of salvation, is elevated in God's work of salvation among men. Okay. Now, that being true, we know that faith does not occur by itself in a person to be justified. But it always accomplishes salvation as it's accompanied by all other graces. All other saving graces. So there's a number we could think about. Repentance itself is a gift of grace. Obedience is a gift of grace. 
Certainly, faith is a gift of grace. And faith, again, here we're going to see elevated, but it's accompanied by all other gifts of grace. Right? So it's never isolated. It never sits alone by itself in that sense. But it is faith alone that justifies. And that and by, by that reality, faith is elevated among the gifts of grace. Okay, does that make sense? Well, that's a little technical. We'll, we'll go there. Hope these things will lay out for us as we go. So it is elevated among the gifts of grace. And there's a purpose for that, a very specific purpose that we need to hold on to in our worshiping and adoring our God uh, for his saving grace that's been lavished upon us. So we know that faith is not a dead faith. That's what our catechism tells us. That's what our, our, uh, our confession tells us. Uh, when we look at uh, saving faith in our confession, it tells us that it's a living faith. It's not a dead faith. It's a living faith. And it works to us through love. So faith is alive. It's an active instrument of justification. Now, there are two realities that flow from the nature of faith. And I want to set these before you as we kind of try to work through this and uh, identify the, 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 the reality of the nature of faith as it's applied to us in salvation. So two realities that flow from the nature of faith. This is going to always be true. Where there is genuine saving faith, these two realities will always uh, uh, exist. Conviction of the truth of the gospel. You're never going to have saving faith unless there's conviction of the truth of the gospel. In like, two, commitment to the Christ of the gospel. You're never going to have saving faith unless there is commitment to the Christ of the gospel. So two elements of saving faith, right? Two elements. Conviction of the truth of the gospel and commitment to the Christ of the gospel. Always going to be present. Always a reality of genuine saving faith. Now, I want to bring you your attention to the instrument of faith or, or faith as the instrument of justification. Faith is just that. It's the instrument of our justification. There is no other grace gift that serves as the instrument of our justification. In that sense, it is faith and faith alone that justifies. What I'm saying here is faith is the means. Faith is the means appointed by God for our justification. Justification comes through faith. Okay? Faith is central in God's working out salvation. It's key. It's primary. Both necessary. Repentance and faith both necessary, but faith is primary because it is the means by which we are saved. Faith is the means by which we lay hold of or possess Christ. There is no other way, there is no other means for us to lay hold of Christ outside of faith, saving faith. So we must possess Christ, right? We must possess Christ in order to have salvation or to access salvation. All of God's outworking of salvation is contained in Christ alone. Unless we possess Christ, we have no salvation. We must possess Christ. We must have Christ. And Christ is accessed by faith alone. Faith is the instrument by which we are justified. 
or justified by faith alone. So let me try to illustrate this for you. Um, we have a lot of moms in here, and we have a lot of children in here. And we have a lot of moms in here that have a lot of children. We have a mom right now that has a little baby in her womb right now as we speak. And that little baby and that lovely mom's womb is connected in a unique way inside mom's body. And that's through the umbilical, uh, umbilical cord, right? Now, faith acts a lot like an umbilical cord. Okay? So the, the umbilical cord gives nutrients to the baby from the mom. So the nutrients from uh, the oxygen and the nutrients uh, are carried from mom to the baby through the umbilical cord. But the umbilical cord is not the nutrients, right? The umbilical cord is the means through which the, nutri the, the nutrients travel, the oxygen nutrients travel to the baby, for the baby to have life. So the umbilical cord is absolutely necessary. It serves as the means of life for the baby inside the womb, but it's not the oxygen and nutrients themselves. It's the means. It's the channel. It's the carrier of the life-giving oxygen and nutrients. In the same way, faith is to justification. Faith is not justification, but is the means through which God justifies sinners. Do you make, do you make the equation? Is that, is that illustrative for you? Okay. And that's very important. The umbilical cord is not life, but it provides life. That's the means through which the nutrients travel. Christ alone justifies, okay? Justification is through Christ. Christ justifies. Only Christ can justify. But we access Christ through faith. There's a means through which that justification is carried out in our lives. And that's very important. Faith is, faith is the means of possessing Christ. We possess Christ no other way. So the righteousness of Christ saves. There is salvation in no other way. We are saved through the righteous work of Jesus Christ. His life lived out under the law of God. Lived out perfectly as Christ uh, took on flesh and trod this fallen world perfectly under the law of God. Under all the moral weight of God's perfect law, Christ lived it, lived his life out sinless. In that sense, he earned righteousness as the unique God-man. And therefore, Christ has all right and authority and power to impute righteousness into the sinner's account. And that righteousness found in Christ alone is accessed through faith. Great faith is the means by which we lay hold of Christ. Faith is our union with Christ. We are united to Christ by faith alone. So Christ justifies. And faith is the means through which we lay hold of Christ. Faith alone is the means of salvation. So the righteousness of Christ... Is what saves us. 
that's primary, but in a secondary sense, in a subordinate role, in a subordinate factor in our gaining salvation is the reality of faith. Faith looks towards and rests upon Christ. Now, that's where we can pause for a moment and you can just write that down. Okay? Let's go over that again. Faith looks toward and rests upon Christ alone. Their faith is the means of our justification. Faith is what unites us to Christ. And there in Christ, we are justified. Now there's the instrumentality or or faith as the instrument or means of justification. And now I want you to see the primacy of faith. Now we've been kind of going in that direction, but I want to lay it out a little more fully if I can. So I've uh, uh, moved to our next little heading here is the primacy of faith. So one must repent and believe. One must have faith and the gospel to be saved. But the emphasis again on, on uh, the emphasis of, uh, uh, of being saved is upon faith, right? Faith is a primary means of justification. Now, let's get some language from Scripture here. Romans 3.28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. Of course we do. But you see how faith is elevated there? Romans 4.5. But to the one who does not work, but believes, there's the faith, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. We'll talk about this, Lord willing, on another Lord's Day. But let me pause it for a moment. This is beautiful language. One, can we just all give the hearty amen to a holy God who, what? What does he do here in this language of Romans 4, 5? He justifies the ungodly. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. We're talking about a glorious God a sovereign God over all the universe, a creator God who is sovereign over every molecule of creation, who has made man uniquely in his image. And we are in rebellion. It's cosmic treason, is it not? We're in rebellion against a creator God. We are in Adam who has fallen. We are sinners in Adam before we are ever born. And once we are birthed out of the womb, we express that reality. We're in rebellion to a holy God. And here we find this beautiful apex picture of the character of God and all his majesty. This God justifies the ungodly. What is that? How can it be? How can it be? That this God would save the likes of me. He justifies the ungodly. But how does he do it? Well, he does it through the righteousness of Christ. But here scripture tells us that one's faith is credited as righteousness. Why? Because Christ is the sole object of saving faith. There is no other object of saving faith. The righteousness of Christ saves sinners. But here scripture tells us that our faith is credited as righteousness. Why? How can our faith be credited as righteousness? Is there virtue in our faith? That's a good question. Be careful. Is it virtuous? Not in the sense of 
any virtue and faith being the means of being declared righteous? No, it's not. Be careful. Is there any virtuous works that will be produced out of our faith that's going to access righteousness? No, there's not. Be very careful with saving faith. This is a biblical moment here that we need to settle down theologically and be very careful. When we see language like this in Scripture, our faith being credited as righteousness, we have to know why. Or else we'll get very reckless with, quote unquote, our faith. And we have some serious flesh that remains that love to try to con us into thinking that our faith is virtuous in and of itself. And that is a spiritual death nail. It is not. Our faith, which is a grace gift by God, is credited as righteousness because our faith rests upon Jesus Christ alone. That's why it's credited as righteousness. Our faith unites us to Christ. So in other words, the language here uh, uh, of Romans uh, 4 or 5 is simply this. Uh, this faith, this faith that is credited as righteousness is a, is, a, is a faith that stops striving to work righteousness and lays hold of Christ by faith alone. That's what's pictured here in this beautiful language of Romans 5 4. And why can that be true? Because it's faith in the God-man who has come down to justify the ungodly. So stop striving. Stop striving for works righteousness and lay hold of Christ alone by faith alone and you will find a perfect Savior. Now there's the great exchange that permeates all throughout Scripture that a holy God would come down, wrap Himself in flesh, live perfectly under the law, go to the cross and die a vicarious, substitutionary, atoning death on the cross on behalf of all who repent and believe on Him. There's the object of faith. And there's the great exchange. The unique God-man, Jesus Christ, there takes his earned, justified righteousness as he's emptied himself, as he's left the portals of glory at the right hand of the Father and submission, willing, happy submission of the triune Godhead to come down and unite himself with sinful man. And there provide salvation for all who repent and believe on him. There, his righteousness is imputed into the sinner's account. And there, the sinner's sin debt before a holy God God is wiped clean. Paid for in full on the cross where the righteous wrath of God the Father is poured out on the righteous Son, who stands in the place of ungodly sinners. They're rightly bearing eternally, in essence, the full wrath of God the Father that belongs to sinners as their substitutionary atoning sacrifice. And there the sinner's sin debt is paid. The righteousness of God is satisfied 
The wrath of God is fulfilled. And the justifying reality of Christ is now poured out upon the sinner. There's the exchange. His righteousness for my sin. Paid in full. And that is accessed by faith alone. Faith, a gift, a grace gift from God that is elevated and unique and that it is the means through which the sinner lays hold of Christ. There is one object of faith, one object of saving faith. It is Christ alone. And faith lays hold of Christ. And there salvation is accomplished to the glory of God. So all who are saved must repent and believe, must have faith. Faith is the grace that is unite, that unites us to Christ. Faith is a primary grace gift from God because why? Faith is a gift that unites us to Christ. That's what elevates it. That's why scripture elevates faith. That's why when we get to repentance, you sort of scratch your hands a little bit. Okay, now how does this fit, brother? Where's our fits? Faith is elevated. Faith unites us to Christ. Faith is primary. It's a primary grace gift from God because it has a primary role. Now, repentance again. Repentance is a grace gift. Love is a grace gift. Obedience is a grace gift. Fear. Fear is a grace gift. All these are grace gifts. Faith has primacy over them. It is the grace gift according to God's own sovereign will that is the means through which we access Christ. That makes it a little different. Okay? And we need to know this. We need to see it as such. Awe and wonder, grace gift. It's not the same as faith. Now, faith is the uniting grace, okay? I want you to hang your hat there. All these things are grace gifts and many others. There's a, multipli- a multiplicity of grace gifts that we, could, that we could see that are extended to us by God's sovereign grace. But the uniting grace gift is faith alone. Faith is the grace gift that unites us to Christ. There it has primacy. And therefore, we use language like this. We are justified by obedience alone, by love alone. Ooh, that would go over well in this culture, wouldn't it? By love alone. Well, love justifies us. No, it does not. No, it does not. It's a grace gift. It's glorious. It's honoring to God, but it's not the apex grace gift. The apex grace gift unites us to Christ. That's faith. Faith. Faith alone. The main component of salvation is faith because faith alone joins us to Christ alone. Faith is God exalting. Faith is God glorifying. Faith is the central grace gift. Why? Because it magnifies sovereign grace. Now, that is where we need to go. That's the main point of the sermon, okay? That's where we need to gravitate. That's where we kind of, that's where the bells need to start going off, right there. Why all this talk about faith, brother? Right there it is. Faith magnifies the sovereign grace of God. Faith leaves no room for what? Oh, humor me. For boasting. Faith leaves no room for boasting. 
They're all grace gifts, but my, how we could in our fleshly frailty, my, how we could take love, my, how we could take obedience and really work those babies around to somehow glorifying ourselves in our faith. But saving faith, saving faith magnifies sovereign grace. Faith holds the primary position in God's economy of salvation because it magnifies God's sovereign grace. There's justification. That's a gift. There's sanctification. That's a grace gift. There's adoption. That's a grace gift. There's forgiveness. That's a grace gift. There's the indwelling spirit of God. That's a monumental grace gift. There's the perseverance of the saints. That's a grace gift. There's the assurance of faith. What a glorious grace gift. All come to us by faith alone in Christ alone. For faith is the primary grace gift. It's the means of our justification where all else fits in. And faith magnifies God's sovereign grace. Faith and grace are like peas and carrots. They go right together. You can't have saving faith. You can't have faith as the means of justification unless there is grace. Now, all is true for the other grace gifts. It's all true. But man, we can have, we can wiggle out a little room to think about distorting the others. But when God brings us back to that gift of faith, there's just no way out of that. That is a magnification of God's grace. And all the grace gifts come to us through faith. Now that builds up lastly to the uniqueness of faith. And I want to try to demonstrate this a little more fully um, from Scripture. And bring us to that, that kind of peak moment of seeing the magnitude of grace that is exercised in the grace gift of faith. So why faith? Well, we've talked about that. Why faith alone? We've talked about it. And why does God emphasize faith? Because it magnifies grace. Well, listen to some language here. Romans 4, 16. This spells it out as clearly as I know anywhere in the New Testament. If there, there may be other places that, that are more poignant. And if there are, please, you, please tell me. I, I want to know. Um, all of Scripture is fruitful for us. But to my knowledge, I can't find one text that we can just, that we can just lay before us this morning that points this out any more clearly. And this is a glorious text here. Listen to the language of Romans 4.16 because it just is straightforward about it. For this reason, well, there you go. Why by faith? Why faith alone? Why does God emphasize faith? Well, right here, Paul tells us, for this reason. In other words, for this reason, God emphasized faith. For this reason, it is by faith. Why? In order that it may be in accordance with grace. Right there it is. There's the uniqueness of faith. That's why faith, if you will, is an elevated, 
is a primary, is, an, is, is a, is a set-apart set grace gift. Because it's by faith, according to God's sovereign will. It's by faith. Why? Because faith is in accordance to grace. Why? So that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, that being the, the Jews, but also those who are of faith, of the faith of Abraham. That's everybody, Jew and Gentile, who is the father of us all. Now, there's the language, the father of us all being all of those who are saved in Christ, both Jew and Gentile. So faith must be exercised by everyone. We know this, but it's primary. It's primary because faith is in accordance with grace. So why faith? Because faith is in accordance with grace. The text just tells us that straightforwardly. Faith is the greatest gift of God that is most poignantly magnifying God's grace. Faith points, uh, 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 faith points to the fact that salvation is by the free and sovereign grace of God. Now, we talked about our freeness a little bit this morning. We are free. We are absolutely free to make decisions for ourselves in this world. Absolutely free. We are not autonomously free. Those are two different things. There's one being that is autonomously free. That is God himself. In other words, we're free in the exercise of our decisions in this, on this planet. But we're not free in accessing the gift of faith. Are we? We're not free there. We're not free from our responsibility and our command before a holy God to repent and believe on Christ. We're not free from the reality of being born in Adam. We're not free from our sin debt before a holy God. We're not autonomously free. God is autonomously free. And God has declared that faith would be the means, the instrument that brings him most glory and displaying his dazzling grace and salvation. So faith points to this fact. That salvation is by the free and sovereign grace of God. What does it do? Faith is like a neon sign. When you think of faith, always think of a flashing, large, massive neon sign. Faith is always flashing, illuminating the grace of God. Faith is constantly blinking and flashing like a big arrow, a big blinking neon arrow illuminating the grace of God, continually, perpetually illuminating the grace of God. Romans 4, 13 and 15, right before we get to Romans 16, listen to the language prior. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For of those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath. See, there you go. There's the law. It's just, it's just a precursor. It's a forerunner to grace. It can't bring about grace. It only brings wrath. It's a pointer, a marker. But where there is no law, there is also no violation. So what it's saying to us there is like, if there was no law, there's no, there's no standard. 
Or there's no means of pointing to, the, to God's holy standard. There's no measurement that tells us how woefully far we have missed the standard of God's perfection for us. The law does that. That's the law's job. And so here Paul, in a negative way, is saying, look, if the law didn't exist, you wouldn't even have a, a, a standard of violation. The law's there to tell you something. How woefully far you have come from God's standard for you. The law is there to tell you, you are hopeless. You have no capacity to earn your salvation before a holy God. That's what the law is for. There is wrath coming. There is judgment coming from a holy God. That's why we can't carry the gospel without carrying the truth of God's wrath. The gospel is set in juxtaposition of the law. The law points to the righteous standard of God that weighs over all mankind and tells us something about that standard. You've fallen short. You can't even sniff it. It's not in sight for you. All you can know of God's law is guilt. You're guilty. You're guilty and judgment is coming. That's all you can know. And then, then the good news. That's what Paul means by this language. Well, there's no law, there's no violation. And that means that there's, there's somewhere carved out in God's creation a place where there's no law. It means just the opposite. If there were no law, you wouldn't have a standard of your Desperate need for a savior. But there is a law. You're guilty. You need a savior. And there's one way to access that savior. It's by faith. Faith magnifies the grace of God extended to us in Christ. So Genesis 15, 6 is not about Abraham keeping the law. Good night. The law came 400 years after Abraham. It wasn't even on the scene. Certainly, God's moral law is in his heart. You understand what I'm saying? In the context of Genesis, they're trying to, you know, just trying to mess with this with this thing. My goodness, that's not what being that's not what is being said. It's not Abraham working out the law. He doesn't even have a full sense of the law in that regard. It's about God's promise, is it not? That's what we have in Genesis 15, 6, a picture of God's promise. It's God's promise. God's promise to Abraham. A promise that Abraham absolutely deserved. Wait a minute. A promise that God, a promise that Abraham did not deserve. What is that? That's grace. That's grace, y'all. You understand what's happening here? That's grace. That's why faith. That's the nature of faith. Faith accesses Christ. Christ is extended to us by grace. Grace. Abraham didn't work for it. It was a matter of grace. Salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Romans 3.20. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's bad news so that you can get good news. Faith is a means that gets you the reality of the good news offered in Christ. It's a means. The law is a forerunner that points to Christ. My goodness, it's faith. When we look at Joshua, think about Joshua. Now they're crossing over, they're, they're, they're getting ready to deal with Jericho, which is a fortified city like no other fortified city in that time. And by the way, when they cross over, they set up a stone, right? 
and I don't want to get too much in typology of, of the Old Testament, but when, when you see a, song, a stone set up as a marker for this is what, as a reminder of the people, this is what God has done. He parted the water for them there as they cross over. This is what God has done for us. That stone is a picture of Christ. Okay, just mark that down. Wherever you see it, ooh, that's Christ. And I don't want to push the analogy, but that, there's Christ right there. So they've set up the stone. Now they're crossing over. And you know, and you have the bizarre military tactics there that follow, right? In Jericho, what, what uh, Joshua was to lead them to do. Now, tell me, is God that caught up in trumpets? I mean, be, be honest with me. Is he that caught up in trumpets? Could it have been another musical instrument? Is he that caught up in certain formations? Is he that caught up in the number of laps around? What is all that picturing? Faith. Right there. That is an act of faith. Was there some military strategy in Gideon whittling down his army to 300? What is that? What is pictured there in the Old Testament? What is that? That's faith. I need to see this. That's faith. Faith is the means through which God accesses, uh, through which we have access to Christ. Faith unites us to Christ. Christ is the stone. Faith is the means through which God is glorified and accessing sinners to his salvation in Christ alone. It's faith. So what's the goal of salvation? Well, the glory of God in salvation is the goal. You can write that down too. The goal of salvation is the glory of God in salvation. Salvation glorifies God and does what to man? Humbles man. That's why faith. Even you take another grace gift, even though we know it's a grace gift, it doesn't give us the elevation of God's glorification that we get in faith. Because faith always does this. It shows itself as the means through which God is glorified in salvation. And it gives glory to God and always humbles man. When we exercise saving faith as a grace gift from God, there is nothing else that we can do but praise his gracious and holy name. We just can't insert ourselves there in any kind of arrogance. That's why faith. Faith removes the arrogance of man and puts the spotlight right on the grace of God and turns us there and holds us there. Where God is glorified in salvation. And we are not. But we are humbled to our good and to God's glory. 1 Corinthians 1, 29-31. Listen to the language here. So that no man may boast before God. And this is Paul talking to the Corinthians about God's working out salvation among them. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what? He is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now what? 
All these things are from your own capacity. Oh, no, excuse me. All these things are from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is a picture of faith. And it's a gift from God that brings glory to him in salvation. God designed salvation the way he did because all glory is to come to him. That's why faith, that's why the nature of faith, that's why we're spending time here. We have to know this. You have to be crystal clear on this. When you hit a fallen world with the gospel, uh, uh, you, you better know this. Just like that. This is why. You got to know why faith. You got to know. This, gotta figure out. this is where your prayer life grows. This is where fasting doesn't become abstract. It's easy. Now, there's work involved. We're active. But, 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 but fasting's easy in this sense. Do I fast in faith? If I don't fast in faith, I fast wrongly. Simple. The reality of God's grace extended to me in faith moved me to fast in faith, yes. And on and on with the Christian life. You better know this. Faith gives glory to God. Faith is a self-emptying gift of God. That's why faith. Of all the other grace gifts that come to us, that culminate in our salvation, all of them are apart. We talk about repentance specifically. Those are two things we're commanded to do. You have to hold those things as well. We must repent and we must believe on Christ. But of all the grace gifts that extended to that are extended to us in God in salvation, faith is that self-emptying grace gift. That's why it's elevated among the others. It is. The self-emptying, self-emptying gift of God. It looks away from self and it looks to Christ. Faith unites us to Christ. Faith causes us to be obsessed with Christ. Faith is that empty hand reaching out to Christ. Faith is focused on the works of Christ. That's why faith is the means of salvation. Salvation is not given in a way that will encourage pride. There's nothing about faith that encourages pride. There's no boasting in saving faith. That's why faith. Saving faith puts our faith in Christ. The object of faith, saving faith, is Christ. And that faith glorifies grace. Now here's the very simple application this morning. If you're here as a follower of Jesus Christ, don't take that faith and turn it into works. Don't turn it into works. That's an easy thing. We don't think that's, that's something that we can fall into. That's an easy thing to fall into. God's word warns us against this. Don't do it. Beg God routinely to keep you from turning his saving faith extended to you in Christ into some kind of works. And here's the question. Do you have saving faith? 
Do you possess saving faith? Or do you have a faith that works to earn salvation? Do you possess saving faith? Saving faith believes on the one who justifies. If you're here, young folks, if you're here, you've sat under the truth of the gospel, and you've been around the reality of the gospel, know that you are a sinner and you must have Christ. There is no other hope of salvation. Christ is accessed by faith alone. You must put your faith in Christ. You must repent, turn from your sin, and turn to the only Savior, that is Jesus Christ. You must repent and believe on Christ. Believe on the one who justifies. Trust the Christ of the gospel. That is God's command on our lives. If you're here and you're outside of that faith and you're sitting here and you hear the gospel truths, God holds all this accountable, all this Truth, all this reality of the meaning and purpose of God and salvation is set in your account. And you have a command upon your life by a holy God. Repent and believe on Christ. There is no other hope. But when you do, when you repent and believe on Christ, you will find a perfect Savior. You will find a perfect Savior who will redeem you, who will justify you before a holy God and who will set you free from your sin debt and who will unite you to himself and grant you hope and forgiveness and life eternal. That's the glory of the gospel. That's the nature of saving faith. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for these monumental few words here in Acts 20, verse 21. What do we do with such grace? I ask that you will tune our hearts to the nature of faith this morning, that this will resonate deeply and abide sweetly in our souls, that we might worship you more fully, and that we might be... um, Uh, full of praise and that our lives will overflow with gospel truth as we go forth as your ambassadors to carry your gospel into a hostile world and to um, glorify you, to worship you in every element and aspect of life and to uh, heed to your command and your uh, sovereign lordship that reigns over us in grace. Grace that you have extended to us through faith. What a Savior, what a glorious God. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.